So wait it discipuli discipuli que lingua latinae. Mihi valde placet vobiscum iturum loqui, et vos pulcram linguam latinam aeternam docere. In the last lesson, we looked at the fourth and fifth declensions and saw that they do not pose huge hurdles to those familiar with the third declension, which, way back when, is where we began our study of Latin nouns. The fourth declension also allows us to address some mysteries of the Latin verb that lurk in the fourth principal part. As you know, we use the fourth principal part of the Latin verb to form two verbal adjectives. If we take the fourth principal part, remove the um, and add the adjective endings, us a um, we have fashioned a perfect passive participle that means having been verbed. And if we take the fourth principal part, remove the um, and add the endings, urus a um, we create the future active participle, going to verb. Today, we are going to take yet another look at the fourth principal part, but instead of using it to create participles, we will extract a verbal noun that we call the supine. And as long as we are cleaning up the final mysteries of the Latin verb, we will also look once again at the future passive participle as well as its lookalike, an active verbal noun that we call the gerund. Sounds exciting, does it not? I shall detain you no longer. Let's begin with the fourth principal part and the formation of the supine. The word supine derives, of course, from the Latin supinus, an adjective meaning bent over backwards, flat on your back, supine. Despite that derivation, no gymnastics are required. The supine is a verbal noun that can be used in two cases, the accusative or ablative. It est with an um or an u. And as that ablative long u indicates, these two endings are in fact fourth declension endings. We may take the verb dico dicere dixi dictum as an example. The fourth principal part, dictum, is actually the supine in the accusative case. In the fourth declension ablative, the supine appears as dictu with a long u. These are the only two forms that appear. Using dictum and dictu as our models, can we create the supine forms for audio? What is the fourth principal part? Audio, audire, audiwi, auditum. Yes, which in fact is already the accusative form of the supine. What is the ablative form? Auditu. The supine that ends in ablative long u is hard to miss. So let's begin with that form and return to the accusative form in a moment. We frequently translate the ablative supine as to verb or in the verbing, and it is often paired with an adjective as in mirabile dictu, which we may translate as marvelous to tell or marvelous in the telling, mirabile dictu. 
We can also find the ablative supine with such nouns as fuss, which means religiously permissible. For example, si hoc fas est dictu, if this is religiously permissible to say, or more literally, if this is religiously permissible in the telling. The basic meaning of dictum, dictu, when used as a verbal noun, is thus saying or telling, which is, of course, active, even though the past participle dictus, aum, having been said, is passive. Settle down. There are clues, a lot of them, and signs to distinguish the adjective or participle dictus aum, having been said, from the noun or supine dictum dictu, saying. And heck, even if they confuse us from time to time, that's life in a foreign language. BTW. One big clue, the participle never ends with a long U. Try this one. Incredibile wisu. Please say it. Incredibile wisu. Incredible to see or unbelievable in the seeing. Can you tell me the principal parts of video? Video videre widi wisum. Which principal part did we use to form the supine wisu? The fourth, wisum. But what about that accusative form of the supine wisum? That could look like a participle. Please calm down. The accusative form of the supine only occurs with verbs of motion or implied motion. When used with verbs of motion, the supine expresses purpose. Here's an example. Please repeat. Kaisar wainit galyam wictum. You've seen wainio before. Please repeat. Wainio wainire waini wentum. Which means come. Does coming involve motion? Yes. We have a verb of motion. Please repeat. Winko winkera wiki wiktum. This verb means conquer. Let's go back to our original sentence. Please repeat. Kaisar wainit galiam wiktum. Spoiler alert. We have an accusative supine wiktum after a verb of motion. Please repeat. Kaisar wainit galiam wiktum. Now, if we were to try to translate this sentence without a knowledge of the supine, we might translate, incorrectly, Caesar came, Gaul conquered, and scratch our heads, because one cannot perform the action of arriving upon Gaul, and because the form of wictum agrees with neither Caesar nor Gaul. That very lack of connected syntax, plus the verb of motion, is what clues us into the possibility that what we see is a supine. Caesar came, Caesar waned. But why? Wictum, for the purpose of conquering. Gallium, Gaul. We construe wictum as a supine with the verb of motion waned and gallium as the accusative direct object of the verbal noun or supine wictum, which means for the purpose of conquering. Please repeat. 
Caesar waned Gallium victum. Caesar came for the purpose of conquering Gaul. I made that example up. Here's an authentic example from the historian Livy. Please repeat. Venerunt questum in Urias. Please translate. Venerunt. They came. In Urias means injuries or violent outrages. Questum is the supine of the third conjugation deponent. Queror, query, questus sum, which means lament, bewail, or complain about loudly. Please repeat the principal parts. Queror, query, questus sum. And let's look at our sentence from Livy one more time. Please repeat. Venerunt questum injurias. The supine questum, with the verb of motion venerunt, expresses purpose. Why did they come? They came questum, for the purpose of complaining about violent outrages. Supines are not common, but neither are they extremely rare. They exist. Much more common as verbal nouns are gerunds. What is a gerund? A gerund is another verbal noun that means verbing. So why not use the supine? Because the supine is confined to the ablative and accusative singular and is restricted to the uses I just outlined. Gerunds have more cases and more uses. They look like the future passive participle, but appear as a neuter singular in four cases. The genitive, dative, accusative, and ablative singular. Do you remember how we formed the future passive participle? We determine whether a verb is first conjugation, in which case we add the endings undus a um to the base of the verb, that is, the first principal part minus its o. If the verb is not first conjugation, we add endus a um to the base. Let's review a couple of verbs. If we take to love, amo, and check its second principal part, amare, we quickly determine that the conjugation is first. So how do we form the future passive participle necessary to be loved. Amandus a um. Time for a review quiz. Molinarius will give you the first two principal parts of some verbs and then give you the future passive participle of that verb. Please form the Latin equivalent in the pause provided. After the pause, you'll hear the correct response. As always, please check your work. Ago agere, necessary to be done. Agendus a um, next verb. Corrigo corrigera, necessary to be corrected. Corrigendus a um, next verb. Memoror, memorari, that's a deponent. Necessary to be remembered. Memorandus a um. Optime. Let's return to our future passive participle amandus a um. 
The gerund, or verbal noun, is formed in the same way, but in just four singular neuter cases. Here are the only possible gerund forms. Genitive singular, amundi. Dative singular, amundo. Accusative singular, amundum. And ablative singular, amundo. Again, gerunds are formed in the same way as the future passive participle, and they look like the future passive participle, but they are not the future passive participle. They are verbal nouns, which we must translate as nouns. Genitive, amundi, of loving. Dative, amundo, to or for loving. Accusative, amundum, loving. And ablative, amundo, by, with, or from loving. Let's look at a few examples. Please repeat. Kaisar pognando gallos wicket. What did Caesar do? He conquered the Gauls. But how did he do it? By what means? The verbal noun in the ablative case provides the answer. Pugnando. By means of fighting. Caesar pugnando gallos wicket. Caesar conquered the Gauls by fighting. The common use of the genitive gerund is with the word causa to express purpose. We can translate causa as for the purpose of or for the sake of. Please repeat. Caesar pugnandi causa it. What did Caesar do? Caesar came. Caesar it. Why? Causa pugnandi. For the sake of or purpose of fighting. We can also substitute the word gratia in the ablative, which we may also translate as for the sake of. Please repeat. Caesar pugnandi gratia it. Caesar came for the purpose of fighting. We can also express purpose after a verb of motion with the preposition ad, which means to or toward and governs the accusative case. We can use ad with the accusative form of the gerund to express purpose. Please repeat. Caesar ad pugnandum venit. Translation. Caesar came for fighting, or for the purpose of fighting. But what if Caesar needed to pay attention to the fighting? Latin idiom offers us dat operam. Literally, he gives work or effort. This phrase will permit us to offer an example of a dative gerund. Please repeat. Caesar pugnando operam dat. Translation. Caesar gives effort to fighting, or in more natural English, Caesar pays attention to the fighting. If this were all I needed to say about gerunds, you would probably say, well, that's not so bad. But I need to talk about gerundives. The word gerundive is gerund with an I-V-E. This form of the verb is identical with the future passive participle and 
as you may recall, means that something should be done, must be done, or is necessary to be done. As a participle, it is an adjective and so agrees with the noun it modifies in case, number, and gender. Let's use gero, gerera, gesi, gestum, the source for the word gerund, by the way, which is the doing form of the verb. At all events, a bellum gerendum is a war that must be waged. A puella amanda is a girl who must be loved, or more literally, a girl necessary to be loved. You have seen these uses of the future passive participle before. Quick review. The gerund and gerundiv look virtually identical. But the gerund is an active verbal noun. The gerundiv, on the other hand, is a passive verbal adjective. English usage prefers active verbal nouns. Latin, however, in practice, prefers to use the passive verbal adjective. For the sake of our own sanity, we frequently translate the gerundive, that is, the passive verbal adjective, as if it were a gerund, that is, an active verbal noun. But this is too abstract. Let's look at some examples. Both of the following sentences inform us that Caesar came for the purpose of waging war. But the first uses a gerund, and the second a gerundive. Please repeat. Caesar venit causa gerendi bellum. Please repeat. Caesar venit causa belli gerendi. In the first sentence, Caesar venit causa gerendi bellum, it's easy to translate literally into English. Caesar came for the purpose, causa, of waging gerendi bellum. Bellum is the direct object of the active genitive gerund waging. The second sentence offers us a different and more typically Latin approach. Caesar venit causa belli gerendi. What it says literally is, Caesar came for the purpose, causa, of war, belli, necessary to be waged, gerendi. Caesar came for the purpose of war, necessary to be waged. What happened? In this example, a passive participle, gerendi, which we call the gerundiv, modifies a genitive belly, which takes its case from causa. Let's compare the sentences one more time, paying especially close attention to the word bellum. Please repeat. Caesar venit causa gerendi bellum. Please repeat this one. Caesar venit causa belli gerendi. In the first sentence, Caesar came for the purpose of waging. In the second sentence, Caesar came for the purpose of war. In the first sentence, Caesar came for the purpose of waging war. In the second sentence, 
Caesar came for the purpose of a war that had to be waged. They both mean more or less the same thing. But good Latin prose stylists almost always preferred the second construction to the first. Not because it would cause English speakers grief 2,000 years down the road, but because it sounds better to have fewer different cases. And although we in English must use many more words in English to translate the second example, in Latin, both sentences use the same number of words. Romans didn't say war necessary to be waged. They simply said belligerendi, and they knew what it meant. Let's look at another example. Cicero dat operam literas scribendo. And please repeat this example. Cicero dat operam literis scribendis. In the first sentence, Cicero dat operam literas scribendo, Cicero gives effort or attends to a dative gerund, that is, an active verbal noun that means writing, which takes literas as a direct object in the accusative. So Cicero attends to writing letters. Cicero dat operam literas scribendo. In the second example, Cicero dat operam literis scribendis, Cicero gives effort or attends to dative letters, literis, which are in turn modified by a gerundive or future passive participle, scribendis, i.e., the form that means necessary to be written. So Cicero, in effect, attends to letters that must be written. Again, it sounds much better in Latin than English. And to a Latin ear, the second example sounded better than the first. But would it be wrong to take what the Romans preferred and translate it in a way that would make English teachers happier? English teachers hate the passive voice. Could we, when we saw the Latin, Cicero dat operam literis scribendis, or Cicero attends to letters necessary to be written, could we look at that and just translate it as if we had a gerund? that is, an active verbal form with a direct object, and say, Cicero attends to writing letters, which sounds so much better in English? Yes, you may. In fact, most Latin teachers would encourage you to do just that. But would you, Molinarius, would you encourage us to ignore the literal Latin meaning, no matter how hideously passive in English, for the sake of English usage? You ask a tough question to Scipoli at Scipoli. I would encourage you to have your ugly cake and eat your delicious cake too. In other words, I prefer to try first the literal version, and then, after I've seen how the Latin works, turn it into something closer to real English. But to each his or her own. Translation is an art, and we often have to go with our verbal instincts. As long as we're clearing our path through the thickets of future passive participles, we need to address formally the paraphrastic use of the future passive participle, which we call the future passive paraphrastic. Periphrasis is a Greek word literally meaning speaking around something. That is, to use more words than would otherwise be necessary. 
The future passive periphrastic is a compound verb that uses the passive participle plus the helping verb sum to talk about something that must be done, will have to be done, or had to be done. We put the doer, or the agent, into the dative case, which we, quite cleverly, call the dative of agent. Let's look at some examples of the passive periphrastic. Please repeat. Bellum caesare gerendum est. Est is present tense, and it accompanies the gerundive gerendum. Literally, gerendum est means necess is necessary to be waged. What is necessary to be waged? Bellum gerendum est. The war is necessary to be waged. But a smoother translation would be the war must be waged. Kaisari is the dative of agent. So the whole sentence can be translated as the war must be waged by Caesar. Please repeat. Bellum Caesari gerendum est. Here is a past tense example of the passive periphrastic construction. Please repeat. Lesbia catullo basianda erat. Here, the being verb erat is in the imperfect tense. The gerundive basianda agrees with lesbia. How should we translate this sentence? Literally, lesbia was necessary to be kissed. But we don't talk that way in English. So we say, had to be kissed. Nominative subject, lesbia, had to be kissed by the dative agent Catullus. Please repeat. Lesbia Catullo basianda erat. And we can make this future by changing erat, was, to erat, erit, will be. Please repeat. Lesbia Catullo basianda erit. Literally, lesbia will be necessary to be kissed by Catullus. But again, that's not English, so we say, lesbia will have to be kissed by Catullus. Please repeat. Lesbia Catullo basianda erit. There's one more common usage. Let's look at the passive periphrastic when it uses the infinitive esse. Please repeat. Molinarius dicit, Lesbiam catullo basianda messe. This is an indirect statement where we have an accusative subject of an infinitive after a verb of speaking. Translating literally, this sentence would yield Molinarius says, Molinarius dicit, lesbia to be esse, necessary to be kissed. Baziandam, by Catullus, Catullo. That's not English. So we say, Molinarius says that lesbia must be kissed by Catullus. There are, in short, many variations on these constructions. You're scratching your head in passive amazement. Please, look on the bright side. We have mirabile dictu, marvelous to tell, no new forms to learn. We know the basic forms. 
Moving forward in Latin from this point primarily involves becoming more familiar with syntax, that is, the use of all these forms in the lovely gardens of Latin. So let's look at an authentic example. And I can think of no better way to conclude than with the opening phrase of a poem by Horace. Please repeat. Nunc est bibendum. And again. Nunc est bibendum. Nunc means now. Bibo bibera means to drink. But you've seen that before. Can you translate the future passive participle bibendum? Necessary to be drunk. So literally, nunc est bibendum means what? Now it is necessary to be drunk. But that's not English. Can we rephrase? How can we express the idea that there is an obligation or necessity to drink at this point? How about... Now one must drink. Still too impersonal. How about, now we have to drink? That gets the idea across, even though it's not really Latin. But heck, you can understand the Latin, so why not just stick with that? Please join me in repeating. Nunc est bibendum. Nunc est bibendum. Et nunc linguae latinae amatores potestis omnes exire. Ut linguam latinam discatis. Gratias vobis ago, et donac nos iterum viderimus curate ut valeatis.